Born down in El Paso, where the tumbleweeds blow, to the middleweight champ of all Mexico. Dad fought many bloody battles, and he raised four sons. Chavo was the oldest one. Old man Gory could pop like a live grenade. Raised his boys in the way of the trade. Hector and Mondo, young Eddie G. Chavo meant the most to me. Look high, it's my last hope. Welcome to Lucha Classica, episode number three. This is Vandal Drummond, and we're uh, broadcasting live from Walnut Kills, and here is the engineer, the producer, the owner of Lucha World, from Walnut Kills Estates, Alfredo. Well, I'm Alfredo. I'm Alfredo on this show. Asparza. <laughs> I, no, you're always Frito. Uh, I'm well respected on this podcast. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, but don't worry. Whatever respect you have, I'll, I'll make up it. for. I'll make, it, I'll make a complete <laughs> embarrassment of everything. So uh, I can be the flunky. Yeah, it's. <laughs> yeah, we had a different plan of what we we're going to do for this show with uh, just the Viano Three Atlantis feud. We're still going to do that, but this is basically now going to be split into two parts. Um. Because uh, I guess, well, we talked about the Lucha World podcast, how Chavo Girl Jr., uh, Chavo Girl Sr., that was the other thing, that was the other yeah. thing, Chavo Girl Sr., a lot of people were confused early on, thought Chavo Girl Jr. had passed away, but it's actually Chavo Girl Sr., and I mean, I mean, that's a guy that we both have watched for like decades now. Decades. <laughs> yes. And we both... Well, you know, off and on, because the last couple of year, decades, he really was Oh, absolutely. Well, and it's interesting because... You saw many sides of him I didn't see as yeah. far as wrestling wise, and I saw him when he made the big splash into L.A. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, we each have our own different experiences of watching. I think we both watched some of his Japan work. You probably more than I. Yes. Um. Yeah, and it was a bit of a shocker because he did not let on that he had yeah. liver cancer, and apparently. From what I read, he only found out about it weeks before. That must have, and, and to think, because he wrestled on last this past November in Japan, he wrestled one of the like a Legends match in yes for all Japan. One of the it's I think it was a Nosawa show. Um, he I think maybe I think Mil Mascaras and Dory Funk Jr. were in the match, and apparently he looked Chavo looked good in the match too. Wow, and he just made an appearance in Lucha Underground like a couple of weeks yes. ago too on one I think maybe you might have seen that episode I right? didn't see that <laughs> no never got to that one that's the running punchline is I did not see that show you know it's weird because as, as someone who like has been a avid um, collector of video and all that stuff one of the weird things about that is like when you're like really behind on stuff you get to the part where maybe like because wrestling there's always somebody that passes away mm-hmm. you get to the part where like somebody passes away and you get to the show that was maybe like the last couple of shows he was on and it's really weird because it's like yeah eerie. i've I've had like a few times with like all japan and like a couple of other shows that the I've first had. time i ever encountered anything like that was when david von eric passed away that's when i was like binge watching uh the world-class tapes yeah uh and the year before i watched the freebird von eric feud 
to the closest thing you could in real time, and that you know, before it was on cable TV, and I was just collecting tapes. Yeah. And then I remember seeing David Von Erich's final match in Texas, and there was something very chilling. After he had already passed away, right? Yeah. yeah yes. That, that's it's always I, weird. Yeah, it's always weird when that happens. Although this. This happened. He he appeared before this. Although there's like people don't know if maybe he makes another reappearance in because season three is going to continue in late May. So that's right. It's possible he might have another appearance, or they might. And as Lucha Underground does, no spoilers. Yeah, so we don't know. I mean, I'm yes. assuming. I'm assuming he doesn't appear, reappear. I'm assuming, but we don't know. But yeah, that was that was like, yeah, it, it just it came out of nowhere. That threw me and, for a loop. Yeah, it was Saturday morning, right? Yeah, yeah. I remember. Uh, going on Facebook and just scrolling down, and I see a picture of Chavo, and I didn't really pay it much mention. I just thought, oh, yeah, some, somebody classic. found, yeah, somebody found a picture. Then I one. see another one, and then I'm like, wait a minute, and uh, I, you know, it's, Dan Dan Farron posted something on Facebook that day saying, uh, you, you know, tagging me and saying the dressing room's getting a lot emptier, and. I totally empathize. I'm not just empathize. <laughs> I mean. It, it's strange thinking back 40 years ago is, you know, when the whole Chavo-Roddy Piper feud was at a zenith. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's when it was peaking. And I know 40 years is a long time, but when you get middle-aged like I am, I'll be 55 next month, and, and you know, it seems like yesterday, and it's just like this, like, wow, man. Yeah, time flies. I mean, when when I was when I was talking about, about it on the other podcast I do um, Lucha Talk, it was, I was like, when I first saw him was like in 1985, maybe, and it's like, yes. man, that's like that's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Chavo had a very long career. I mean, if you really look back, I mean, 1970 was when he started. I mean, yeah, as Corey Guerrero yeah. Jr. in El Paso, yeah. in I was stomping grounds. Yeah, and I was surprised because I, I, I knew he had been like a. Was he a teacher before he was a? Yes, yes. So he was a and teacher, a wrestling coach. Yeah, at um, Jefferson High School in El Paso, Texas. So I was like, I even called my sister and asked her. I go, I remember that school. Do you remember what place that is? And she's like, Yeah, I remember because she's she's a little older than me and remembers. The, El Paso. She remembers the geography. Yeah, and she remembers El Paso a little more fonder than I do. Where, <laughs> whereas I pretty much have forgotten everything possible. What she's saying, uh, she probably remembers uh, the good school system where you remember. remember yeah, plus she's a teacher, so yes. that's, and you, that helps. where you remember seeing the body washed up on the wood yes, bank. Yes, <laughs> I remember the smell of um, Rio Grande more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know the smell of death. Yes. Yeah. Well, so anybody's been in El Paso or Juarez back then, they can. They can vouch for that, but yeah, it was. It, it, it's weird because um, you were, we were talking about how he started. He started as Gory Guerrero, wrestled a bit in El Paso and Juarez, where his um, dad was promoting. But he really wasn't that known at the time until he came to Los Angeles, where he really got his. That was really his big break, right? And because he wrestled, he wrestled in Florida before that, right? I think he did. Yes, yeah. uh, I think Briefly. Melcher Melcher actually saw him live really? in Florida. You just thought how great he was. Wow. But, you know, he was a little man in a big man's territory. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even though Florida would use guys who probably weren't considered huge like Hiro Matsuda, and still, when you're a rookie, you're only going to get so much mention. But, no, when he hit L.A., they pushed him really hard. And 
I can't remember how long he was in the territory, but Ernie Ladd was the America's champion. And uh, Chava would talk about this in interviews, year, in interviews years later. As the train passes. <laughs> As our train passes, that's right. Yeah. The glory train passes. I was going to ask you before you continue, uh, what you were already, he came in, you had already started watching um, um, LA Wrestling, like what, in 1972. So he was a few years coming in later than yes. that, right? Okay. Yes. Okay. And the big push, the big angle to push him to the top was Ernie Ladd was the America's champion. You know, Ernie Ladd, who was six foot nine, yeah. you know, former football player, uh, heel, heel superior, one of the best heels in the business ever. And it's when it's a Wednesday night live TV, and I think it was Gene LaBelle interviewing him, saying, yeah, you know, you're not giving people title shots. And he says, nobody's deserving of a title shot, Mr. TV announcer. And he says, well, what about the Zodiac? No, 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 not him. And, you know, uh, you know, what about Black Orton? No, I'm not going to wrestle that guy. What about Chavo Guerrero? <laughs> and, uh, I'm, probably, I'm, I'm probably over-remembering this, but Gene LaBelle would usually oversell yeah. when they come to the the pick of the litter and then Ernie Ladd says yeah you know what I'll give him a title shot why the hell not you know, I'll go, you know we'll go right now and Chavo had already had a couple of matches back yes then. Yeah. yes I can't remember if he's in there for like three weeks or two months but yeah he was getting established and even though I was 13 and really didn't know the business I could see what was going to happen because Ernie Ladd uh, did a similar angle where he put over Ruben Juarez in 1972, who was a wrestler who was like about five foot three. I mean, a little dude, good worker, but little. And Lad, Lad was very picky about doing jobs, but he loved to try to get a little guy over. I mean, he took great really? pride. And did he ever explain why, or anyone ever figure out? He just no, he just did it. In fact, he he handpicked Chavo, saying, "I want to put this kid over." And Chavo thought he was messing with him. Thought he was saying, oh yeah, he's just giving me shit. Yeah. But no, Lad meant it. Like, in the case with Ruben Juarez, uh, it was after Lad beats Mil Moskers in a Texas death match, and Raul Mata does a run-in, and Lad starts jabbing uh, Mata in the throat with his taped thumb. And I remember seeing this when I was a kid, that air it. Uh, Mata just spits blood up all over his stomach. It's uh. like it's like Night of the Living Dead, and you know his eyes are half open like he's dead. And then when he's lying on the ground, he starts going into death spasms. I'm ten years old, and I'm freaking out. Yeah. And then Ruben Wars comes in, and instead of just this little five foot three guy just whacking on Ernie Lad, he's wearing dress shoes, and he takes off his shoe, and he just starts belting Lad with it. Then Lad, Lad juices, and he used to do this thing where he'd put Alka-Seltzer in his mouth, yeah. and so he'd foam at the mouth and make it look like he was dying. But it got uh, Warras over really yeah. well. Uh, and so even though this was a very different angle, I could, even at age 13, you, you know, when you're still kind of wanting to just go with the storyline, you can, you can see what's, you can see the formula. Yeah. So I could tell that he's going to put Chavo over him. Yeah, Chavo beat him clean in just wow. a few minutes. And then Lad goes into protest saying, no, 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 he doesn't have the title. And 
They said, but you said this is a title shot. He says, I signed no contract. Bully, bully, I lied, I lied. <laughs> and then they uh, had like a rematch and Chavo won the title. And uh, his was like probably the last great babyface run in Los Angeles. And I left the, the promotion or was he still part he of it? He stuck around for I think about two more months. Because I remember this was like late 1975, November I want to say. And I know Ladd was in the... Uh, 1976 Battle Royal. Oh, okay. And, I mean, Chavo came in at a really interesting time because in the early 70s, they really pushed a lot of the Latino wrestlers, the, or a lot of the wrestlers from Mexico. But I think Chavo was the, maybe the first one since Blassie where they booked a lot of the territory around him. In fact, I think it could be argued as much as I think he probably... You know, gave LA good business and drew some really good crowds. Once Mondo and Hector came in, because Mondo came in sometime in 1977, Hector Guerrero came in early 1978, and again they just pushed these guys to the moon. No, and it was just Guerrero, Guerreros all the time. Yeah, all Guerrero <laughs> all the time. <laughs> Which to me it sounds like a great idea, like because they're great, but it's like. For an American promotion, like an English-speaking promotion, it kind of seems a little... Well, it's tricky. I, I, see, I think it's not... It's just they book too much of... Where they were like the top guys, basically. They're always the yeah, top guys. Yeah. Hey, let's put it this way. Uh, the annual Battle Royal show, it's not like Battle Royals on indie cards yeah. where it's a throwaway match. The Battle Royal was like... Big match. Big match. Up up until maybe the last two years, uh it was a guaranteed sellout. Well, it's like yeah. it's like battle Roy- when we talk about battle royals. Mm-hmm. You and I talk about it. Yeah. You have fond memories, and I have. I always bring up how how much I dislike. Because you just saw you, yeah. Because I just saw them in WWF or like any promotion. Low rent battle. Yeah, I was like, oh great, I'm gonna watch this. Like in, in Oregon, uh, sometimes they would open a show, the TV show, with a battle yeah. royal, and that's when everybody turned the channel. Yes. It's like, oh, not yeah. these stupid battle royals, <laughs> <Yes. clears throat> but. Uh, and the person who won the Battle Royal in L.A. was a person they were planning on booking the territory yeah. around. Of course, sometimes that didn't work out because they would get their paychecks from Michael Bell and, <laughs> oh, dear, you're booking it. Oh, i got to go to Arizona now. There's got to be something better there. <laughs> um, but Hector Guerrero won the 1978 Battle Royal, and I don't think he's even there three weeks. Wow. Uh, and Mondo was given the American t- America's title the first year he was there in 77. And then Hector, you know, at one point all the Guerreros were there, and it wouldn't be so bad, but they were all, they were just kicking everybody's butts. Yeah. And it it was a little overkill. Well, I think because also Chavo, I guess that kind of, I guess that must have developed Chavo's um, not wanting the job mentality. Right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. He was like the top guy. <laughs> yeah, and I and I think he was a lot more effective before Mondo and Hector came along, and that's that's a. Uh, uh, that's no derogatory statement towards Mondo or Hector. It's just Chavo was like the three of them. Chavo was like uh, the gold standard. Yeah. And Mondo, I think, is a really, really good worker, but as a main eventer, no. Yeah. You know, yeah. Hector's also very good, but I mean, I know Chavo just was the most solid and efficient. So, at what point does the Piper feud start with? Um, Almost right away after Lad. After he beat Lad, <clears throat> he beat Lad, and what happened was. When they were hyping the 1976 January Battle Royal, there are two names that they, you know, had as participants. One was Java Rook, the other was Roddy Piper. 
heard I heard of neither of them before. Well, Java Rook was Johnny Rods doing like a a, a chic gimmick, <laughs> like a, you know. Shiku only spoke the words Rook, Rook, Rook. And he was splitting his time between going to WWE and yes, WWF yes. at that time. And Piper actually came in as a babyface who just pretty much got squashed like mm. every which way. Um, and Leo Garibaldi knew Piper was about to head up to Portland to work for Don Owen. Or he probably would have been in the same role, but Garibaldi was the one who came up with the idea of turning Piper heel. And so they did an angle where Java Rook uh, squashes Piper, and then next week Piper comes out with Java Rook with a t-shirt saying, if you can't beat them, join them. Oh, wow. And the first time he picked up a microphone on TV was magic. It was Piper through and through. I mean, he was saying, I just learned a valuable lesson from this man. First, read the back of my shirt. Read what... Oh, I'm sorry, you're wrestling fans. You can't speak English. You can't read English. <laughs> and um, within weeks, uh, it was him and Chavo. And what I remember sparking the feud was they had this trophy called the Jules Strongbow Scientific Trophy, which was a tribute to the longtime booker and former wrestler, Jules Strongbow. He was a r- ring announcer, too, right? He's the ring uh, announcer. I mean, yes, announcer yes. also. Those, yeah. I forgot. The, uh, yeah. Those, old those videos, yeah. Running. And he's always bigger than half the Yeah, because I always, think, I always <laughs> think of a different Strongbow when, when you bring... You think of Frank Hill. Yeah, like the <laughs> other one. And it's like, no, that's the announcer one, right? And Yes. Yeah. Uh, he passed away in 75, so they did a scientific oh. trophy and a tribute to him. What scientific trophy as in for babyface? Like clean, clean matches? Or? Well, heel could wrestle, but it was almost like uh, in Mexico when they used to, used to have a title match, how mm. the Rudo would wrestle clean. Yeah, yeah, clean match. So, yeah, basically uh, you'd see the heels tempted to cheat. They couldn't. And if you so much as threw a punch, you get disqualified. And so the feud, as I remember, got pushed when... Piper and Chavo are wrestling scientifically on TV, and Piper's just doing all this stuff to try to bait Chavo into punching him. And it's actually very melodramatic. You'd see Chavo make a fist and then <laughs> stop, like, no, I can't do it. I can't. And the greatest part was Gory Guerrero was at ringside. And so when Piper couldn't do something to bait Chavo just one on one, he goes to ringside and just smacks Gory Guerrero across the head. And Chavo loses it and just beats the hell out of Piper and loses, loses. the trophy. <laughs> and um, it was very effective. But the only thing that looked ridiculous is uh, Chavo goes you know, to the back for an interview and he says, I can't believe I did it, but uh, he hit my father. And then he looks up into the sky and says, Mr. Strongbow, please forgive me. <laughs> so even though that was silly and corny, um, it, it worked. worked. It yeah. worked great. And Piper was... Uh, I mean, you had two guys who were pretty new to the business. But really good. Really, yeah. really good. Like, two guys unusually talented. So how long was the feud? How long did they last? Because I know at that point, they once that feud started, they got, you know, recognized. Yes. Uh, well, was... 76, all through 76, it was fresh. And I think what, what helped is uh, Piper would feud with other people, too, and... Uh, he had a tag team with a crusher Verdue, but then he'd go back to Chavo. And I think that's part of it. As I remember, when Mondo and Hector came in, suddenly Piper's feuding with all the Guerreros, and as good as the matches were, as great as Piper was, 
I always got the sense that they thought, this is all we have, which yeah. I don't think was true. They had some great workers. They had uh, Adrian Donis when he was Keith Franks. Yeah. And he was really good then. Uh, they had the Scorpions from Mexico who they just pretty much jobbed out. And they were, they were, they were not bad workers. Yeah. Tank Patton, who was a really good heel, uh, I joke not. He got my time on every single show, but he only got put over one time. <laughs> I mean, the booking was atrocious. It sounds like a lot of booking, like from promotions that have just, you know, yeah, doesn't yeah. make sense. They actually had some good hands to work with. I don't know who was booking at that yeah. time. Maybe we could ask Jeff Walton one of these days. And at what point did Piper leave? Piper left early in 78, and that was really to his advantage, because it was... So just, he went to North Carolina, to the Carolinas, right? Uh, first to Portland. Portland and then yeah, Portland. Portland. Yeah. And, yeah, I remember the last appearance on TV. I didn't know he was leaving for Portland, but he did the whole thing where he's playing the bagpipes in the ring, and his opponent is Tom Jones, and Tom Jones is just, just looking kind of like uh, almost invisible in the corner, so I just figure, oh, Piper's going over, and they have a match, and, and Jones, Jones blocks him and beats him clean. So, um, well, whoever was booking that did the right thing, yeah. <laughs> did the right thing and Piper did the right thing. So then once Piper leaves, what is, what's Chavo's role in the promotion? Like, what is he? That's a good question. I know he booked from time to time. and That's what he learned now. Yeah. That's what he yeah. was like, I'm not going to lose to anyone. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Unless they shoot me with a cannon yes, or something yes. like that. Unless they like. Who, who was he like feuding with? Because I know there was Moondog like a lot Main. of Moondog Main. Moondog Main. I, I, although I think Moondog Main's feud was more geared toward Hector, but yeah. I know Chavo feuded with him too. I'm trying to remember who else in '78. In fact, I'm wondering if that's when Chavo started venturing out. My mind because I think he did because I think that's around the time he starts going to like New Japan, no? Yeah, because I remember Hector really getting a huge, yeah. huge push that year. I remember in 1979, Chavo was very visible, and that's when he teamed with Al Madrill. Yeah, because then he started also going to WWE. WWF. What was that match he had in um, Shea Stadium? That was against Tatsumi Fujinami. Yeah. Believe it or not, I've never seen that match, even though I like them both. Yeah. And uh, it was said to be the best match on the show. I think it aired on New Japan on in New Japan's um, the classics. Did it really? Yeah, I think so. I'd love to see that. Yeah, I think it might. See, have. I love New Japan. You just don't want to watch it in WWE. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I love about it is, is back in the 70s, uh, you know, if Inoki was wrestling in Los Angeles, in fact, it probably wasn't even New Japan yet. It was probably before Inoki got control. But any time a wrestler from Japan went to L.A., going way back to Ricky Dosen, they would tape the thing. Yeah, because now you still have it. Like, yes. Stuff that <laughs> Where LaBelle, were, were, you know, raced over all his tapes. Yeah. New Japan kept everything in the vault, and it still survives today. Yeah, because he, he worked New Japan as... He basically was one of the people credited for the whole light heavyweight, junior heavyweight That's true, yes. style. Him and Fujinami, Tiger Mask later. Um, but, I mean... And he was also wrestling in um, Texas also at that point, too, also. so I believe so, yeah. Southwest. 
And then um, then he went to Mid-South after. He'd go off and on Mid-South. Or yes. Like, there was like a lot of territories. that I think I saw him, um, what was that? I think I saw him World Class once too. Wasn't he in World Class like briefly? He like, probably was. For a couple of shows. Because I think that's what the 80s were basically. Once he gets out of, and he was still in L.A. But yeah, he, I mean, he, he in got, the 80s he was like, he, he, there's Florida. Yeah. Um, with Hector. Yes. Yeah. And then there's in in Texas and Mid South with Hector also as a tag team. That's right. Where they feuded with like the Fabulous Ones, um, Doctor Death and Ted DiBiase. Sweet. <laughs> the Rock and Roll Express. I think they had a couple of matches too. While the Doctor Death Ted DiBiase, I think they that was with when they did the Bando, Bandolero on a pole thing. Remember that? Yes. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> that was like that was pretty cool. I think. And then that, I remember a few years later he was in Mid South. Back as a face again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came back when it was switching over to UWF. I think it was before like they made the full switch. Because I think the UWF switch was when um, the NWA was kind of getting it or somewhere around right. that time. But yeah, he showed up as a face. But I think at that point, he would show up. But it was like you could... Well, me being young wasn't like... I didn't I didn't notice it. But it's like now that you think about it, it's like, oh, that's why he wasn't there that often. Because yes. from reading what Meltzer wrote, was it was that... He wasn't there often because Watts knew he wasn't going to job to certain guys. And it's like, ah, I could see why. And, you know, once I, I, I think I even mentioned this before I saw Meltzer's, um, mm-hmm. um, his, his, his bio on, on Chavo. Um, he had mentioned that Chavo didn't like to job. And I had mentioned on the other podcast that I, that I did on Monday. It's like, I said, you know what? I don't think, I don't think Chavo ever really wanted to be a, a jobber because I think he would have been a perfect, um, yeah. Uh, enhancement player um, wrestler because at that point guys who were at that level that he was at I mean your Scott Casey's because mm-hmm. uh, I think Chavo I mean I think Chavo thought he was higher than those guys oh yeah but I mean you had like um, Scott Casey um, well, Rip Rogers those type of guys um, Buddy Landell even at certain point off and on whenever he wasn't on something. Oh, I can remember, I, I, <laughs> yes. I can remember when, he was, when he was like a... Really great. And then all of a sudden he kind of was like the, oh, we'll just use him more or less. Absolutely, to like, yeah. Just to fill in. And um, there's a couple of guys like um, Dutch Mantel also kind of got that role also for a bit. But that was more in the early 90s. But uh, I think he could have been perfect for that, but I don't think he could ever accept yeah, that. Yeah, and in, in one sense, his kind of Moscarus-like uh, ego of not wanting to do jobs... On one hand, it probably kind of made him Chavo Guerrero. On the other time, it might have held him back from yeah. getting a healthy you push. Know, he also wrestled a lot in Mexico, but I don't know. Maybe you might remember, but I don't remember seeing him as much in no, the in the I, in the main ter- like Mexico City. I think he was more of a border town type of wrestler, wasn't he? Like I the, believe so. I think the only. I mean, Alca- he, Juarez, obviously, yeah. in Tijuana, and occasionally in Mexico Monterey. City, because I know. Yeah. He won the light heavyweight title from Alfonso Dantes in L.A. and then dropped it to him a few months more in Mexico. Yeah. At, I can't remember if it was Arena Coliseo. But, yeah, he. I mean, he was in Mexico, but... Yeah. Um, kind of like Kevin Von Erich. <laughs> just like just like the only was difference there. was yes. there, there Chavo remembered being there <laughs> <laughs> and Chavo knew how to work with the yeah, wrestlers yeah, yeah, there yeah. where Kevin yeah Kevin looked a little lost that was a fun that was, yeah he did yeah. look lost it was so funny how sometimes the Rudos would just kind of take over from Kevin yeah yeah like, no, okay, no, no, well. you gotta sell a little bit you know <laughs> yeah it, but I just remember because I know like when I started getting like the Monterey footage and I found a guy who had all that mm-hmm. stuff it was. They were a lot like the Monterey, him and Eddie teaming up a lot. Um, and Juarez, I don't even remember him, him being there that often. 
but he would show up every once in a while when the you know the feud had to get you know had to peak at a certain point mm-hmm. where Eddie was getting picked on. So the other guy or one or Mondo or one of the other girls, one of the brothers has one to bro- save somebody has to come in and defend the other the other the other brother or the dad or something. So they would he would show up too. But I think it was mostly like really he was more like sporadically shown uh, showing up in in the U.S. in the eighties. Because yeah, I mean, in, even like Win Win promo the Win promotion. Yeah, because he wasn't a regular there. It was just hmm. like I think it was just that night they honored his father. Really, and they all did a taping that day. Yeah, they all did a taping that day. <laughs> yeah, that that's the day when I think there was like a eight man tag with yeah. the brothers. Yeah. Um, because there's a picture of it, and then there's also the match that I think made it made it. Because the there's TV. one I don't know if it was the TV taping or if it was one of that few house shows they did where one of the brothers was trying to play with Parata Morgan's eye patch until uh, Morgan clocked him. <laughs> like, seriously clocked him. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that wasn't the tape because that was the night when Steve Gerber wanted to interview Morgan and Conan just flat out said, oh, I don't think tonight, I guess, uh, I guess Morgan was high as a kite. and uh. So... <laughs> well, even angrier yeah. when they played with his eye patch. <laughs> yeah, then he made he did appear in EMLL in the early nineties. I remember because he he did a few, but then the, he made the switch over to AAA afterwards. One of the ones I loved were two straight weeks when they had the six man tag that was building towards the dandy uh, Javier Cruz or Satanico. Uh, not not Satanico. Uh, Angel Azteca. Angel Azteca. Yeah. Yeah, two straight. Weeks. I like how it's like. You you could come up with like five different names that were feuding with El Dandy in that era. Yes, because yes. I said I said Javier Javier Cruz. They were all, like, they were all awesome great. Foods. Yes, yes, they, they were, were all great. awesome. But it, I, if I remember, it was it was uh, Chavo Tejano and Dandy against Angel Azteca, Azteca, Javier Cruz, and I I'm blanking on the third person. Probably Satanico. <laughs> it was no, it wasn't him. It no, was, probably it, no. It, it, oh, it all, might have might have been one of the like dinamitas, no. No, it was no. somebody who generally could be a babyface. Yeah. But everybody was a little heelish in that. It was just great. It was great ring psychology, and, and you know, and, I mean, while the feud wasn't centered around Chavo, he was very present in the match. I mean, yeah, he, everybody in that show was. Yeah, he, I mean, he was really good. The match that, uh, the one match I remember, and you want to scream when I tell you it wasn't taped, but then again, this was Mike LaBelle. <laughs> Uh, when he was the America's heavyweight champion, uh-huh. and on the January 1977 Battle Royal show, he dropped the title to Dory Funk Jr. And that that match was just one of the most amazing matches I had ever seen. It went uh, around 45 minutes, and they started off... Okay, El, I'll tell you before you... Okay. El Dandy, Tejano, Chavo, Guerrero versus Angel Azteca, Javier Cruz, and Américo Roca. Américo Roca, that's it, yes. It, man, people, search that on, on YouTube yeah. and watch both back-to-back because that's the way to build a feud. Américo Roca was really good in the So underrated. Yes. So underrated. There's a lot of guys that we oh hated. Oh, my God. Like, if you started watching at a certain period, you hate the guys because they were so old at that point. But then you go back and you watch, like, oh, this guy was great. Mogu... Um, Mochokota was one of the guys. Yes. Mochokota was one guy that everybody. Mogur, the Egyptian cat. And also, there's a bunch. And Javier Cruz. I remember, in fact, the one we all got defensive, like me, Pat Hoed, uh, Fizzy, was when people would 
say, oh, Javier Cruz, he's just kind of ordinary. I was saying, are you kidding yeah, he was awesome. Are you nuts? <laughs> that guy was yes. an awesome worker. Yes. You didn't need to put no uh, mask yeah. or bells on that guy. Yeah. That guy was just... So you wrestled Dory Funk Jr. in L.A.? In L.A. And, what and Terry a- Funk also, didn't he, at one point? He did. Terry yeah. Funk, when he would come in, he'd come out as an all, all-out all racist heel. Yeah. And... Did you hear that? Um, did you hear the recent Observer where Dave was talking about... Um, Terry Funk cutting a heel promo on uh, Chavo that was so offensive. Oh, they were. I heard them. So, do you remember it? Do you remember it? Because someone was asking. They were wondering what it was. And um, you're nothing but a kinky-haired, egg-sucking Mexican dog. Yeah, because he was saying that they went national. That one of them went national. They and, did, and that and that um, Terry Funk was such a big baby face in New Texas, Mexico, yeah, and in Texas, and that, they and they it aired yeah, there. They were friends of the Mexicans in those areas. Yeah, and it, how do you explain your way out of that one? Yeah, uh, yeah. Ah, come on, kinky hair—that's not that offensive. Well, <laughs> Back then, the my, way he says it, and it, yes. it, it pretty much it, it it the tone. It's the, the tone, tone more than the anything, tone. Yes. I mean, great heel work, but you. They did a lot of that back yeah. then, though. I mean, that's how you got a heel over uh, way back. I like how it doesn't matter who it is. There always has to be egg-sucking dog on Cherry uh, Funk. <laughs> Funk's promo. It's like, yes. that, yeah, yes. that should be the tag. Yes. Line, you know? egg, and then insert, and then egg-sucking dog. I, I was going to say, when he passes away on his tombstone under his name, they should have yeah. in quotations, you egg-sucking dog. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah, but it was just, it was... And that wasn't the only thing he said. I, mm-hmm. That was the thing that stuck out. But where Dory Funk, when he came in, he came in as the scientific wrestler that Chavo idolized. And uh, so they wrestled this just beautiful, just hold for hold match. And at one point, Funk gets a headlock on Chavo. And it's the first time I ever saw like a headlock worked for, I want to say maybe 10 minutes. Wow. Where Chavo was just trying to get out of the headlock. And uh, they worked it so beautifully. Every time he'd almost get out, the audience was just on the edge of their seat. And then they started doing that spot where Chavo tries to uh, vault Dory into the ropes, but Dory holds onto the headlock. But then after the third or fourth time Chavo tries it, Dory starts to get launched into the ropes, but grabs onto Chavo's hair. To so he's that's his first hint of being a heel. And then Chavo gets out of the headlock, and that's when uh, Dory starts wailing on him with forearm smashes. And, you know, they still do more scientific work, but Dory starts laying in the punches. And uh, the finish comes when Dory has him in what looks like would be a two-count pin, but then does the legs on the rope for leverage. And uh, I remember I was... How old was I? I was 14, and I remember... Just being bummed that there was like a screw, not a screw finish, but kind of no finish, right? Yeah, I thought it was it was such an excellent match. Yeah. I would have liked to see it clean finish, but at that time I didn't understand that's not what it's all about. Uh, <laughs> there should have been a foul. You would have been even more upset. Yeah, <laughs> like yes. nowadays with with all the wrestling. Yep, that's how you throw in yeah. that foul, foul. What was the? Well, after that, after the EML, he ended up in um, what was it? Triple A, and you actually got to see him a few times in Triple A. <laughs> right? I don't think I did. You actually. didn't? You didn't no. get to... Didn't you work... Weren't you at a show with him? He wasn't on... Oh, gosh. Yes. Well, we can't talk about it because it's going to be this. Well, no. Well, yeah. well, okay. This is just to show... This might be another reason why Chavo kind of um, 
Because even Chavo Guerrero Jr., when he wrote about his, his dad had some faults yes, to him. Yes, yes. So it's like... And it's... I mean, the reason I say this, it's no secret. I mean, uh, I remember Terry Funk a few years ago looking forward to the next Cauliflower Alley because he wants to see what Chavo's going to do. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, when I was when I was working, for, you know, when I was... I guess because I was working for Pena, but I really only met Pena. I was more yeah. working for Ron Scholar. And, uh, yeah, Chavo uh, showed up with a lot of spirits in him already. And... Um, he just starts talking to Ron Scholar about how they could work together and do all this stuff and then and he knows who Ron Scholar is he knows he's working with Pena but then he starts going on this rant about how he's going to sue Antonio Pena for something I can't remember for what um, but Shock. he was just being a wrestler suing someone shocking I don't totally <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny you're, you're, you're telling Pena's partner yeah. a business partner yeah. for the moment anyways yeah that you're going to sue him. Scholar probably wished he did. Yeah, probably, yeah. But Scholar just had this look on his face like, like he's nodding and smiling, yeah. but you can see this what the hell. Um, and I mean, Chavo was totally friendly to me and stuff like that. Um, but, I mean, yeah, he was, he was very animated that night, and that might be why, uh, <laughs> actually one of the, Something kind of funny and kind of adorable, too, is you see him walk into Jake Roberts' dressing room, and about five minutes later, you hear this loud scream, and Chavo comes running out, and behind him, there's Jake with his cobra chasing <laughs> Chavo. <laughs> and when I see he's screaming, he was screaming, but he had a grin on his face. Well, like you know, was... I know when we were gonna, when we, we did the Lucha Underground uh, press tour, mm-hmm. and Chavo Guerrero Jr. was there, we were kind of like not sure we wanted to talk to him, just because, you know, I think... We had heard stories about the Garros, not just Chavo. I mean, oh no, no, it's not just. I think Hector's probably the only one that's kind of has a reputation for being the, ni- the nice the one. Most mellow. And then Eddie kind of had a mood to yeah. him, but he was he was a little bit easier to talk to. Although he, you hear stories of him of also. His temper also. Yeah, his temper. But it, Chavo and Mondo did, and we thought, man, Chavo Guerrero Jr. is going to be the same. And what happened? We go and see him. He's probably one of the nicest most guys. Polite yes, very polite. Talked about um, what it was like being around growing up in a wrestling family and all this stuff so it's like you kind of he even admitted that there's some weirdness to his um, dad and stuff like that and, that and that's I, that's admirable yeah. I mean I, I th- you know because when we're saying these things it's not like we're trying to trash Chavo it's just no, there's a people, lot of people are complex there's people are I, complex I, I should mention probably my my last favorite moment was um, Chavo getting into a Twitter war with um, Conan do you I, remember that no the, I don't the, tell me about that so so I I don't know what happened, but Chavo I guess Conan he he must have been told Conan said something about him, mm-hmm. and he just starts going blasting Conan on Twitter, and Conan is like I have no idea what you're talking about, and he's like <laughs> so it's like it's like this long rant on him. I don't know if it still exists, but I mean it was up there for a while, but it was hilarious, and it's like and then Conan told um Conan had Chavo Jr. on mm-hmm. as a guest on his podcast. And he told him, "Hey, did you did your dad tell you about the little rant he had on me?" He's like, "He's like, which one?" He's like, so he started telling me, "Like, ah, oh, that's my dad, you know." <laughs> but I just laughed. I, I gotta like, give Chavo Jr. Yeah. props for that. Yeah, it's you know, it it's like, because I, I I know when I got when I started knowing wrestlers, the first person that everybody told me that was gonna disappoint mm-hmm. my opinion of wrestlers was if I ever met Chavo Guerrero. <laughs> Remember? 
Yep. I you were, you told me that. Yes. There was, Dan told me that. There's a lot of people that told me that. Like, I think every single person that has met me has told me, well, you know, you're you're going to... And then afterwards, it's like, yeah, they're not that bad. Actually, I think most of them have been far more oh, totally, positive totally. than anything else. I think I think really... It's just, it's just good. I think, I think outside of Johnny Mundo, I think everybody else has been fantastic. Yeah, totally. And and, and uh, yeah, and Johnny Mundo wasn't horrible. He's just r- r- weird, you know? Yeah, just kind of aloof. Yeah, 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 aloof, you know? Um, Well, and that's the thing. You When you're going to meet wrestlers for the first time, it's kind of good to have a heads up. Yeah. Because some wrestlers are loose cannons. Some some are always really cool. And yeah. There's others who have good days and bad days. Yeah, so what was the other thing I was going to... I was going to mention something else about... um, Chavo totally forgot. Yeah, you know, it, it's just one of those... Um, and I think he was here at, for that Wrestle Reunion, wasn't he also for he that? He was. Yeah. In fact, I remember... Uh, we saw him like in the, at the bar or something. <laughs> Oh, actually, it was Ryan. Ryan saw him at the bar. Yes, no, we saw him afterwards. I think we oh, saw did him. We really? Yes, that's where I remember leaving. when he was at his booth. Uh, I didn't see him at a booth. Yeah, he was selling something. I can't remember what yeah. it was. But I just mentioned I saw when he went over Lad uh, on TV in 75, and he just lit up like, oh, my gosh. And he told me the whole story of yeah. Lad wanting to put him over. And it's like, damn, I wish I had a tape recorder with me at the time. Yeah. Because, I mean, he was... You know, he was totally open about it, and yeah, he just held Lad in high regard for doing that. Yeah, there there, there was a lot, like, I think I think he kind of, like, it's kind of weird, because we were, I was thinking about, like, Hector Guerrero still showed up in WCW mm-hmm. towards, in the, like, I think it might have been 99, 2000, well, when Eddie was there, 98, 90, somewhere around, 97, 98, and then he still works in, T, he's had off and on in TNA, and it's like, mm-hmm. I think Chubb would probably... He probably could have had a role similar like that if his ego was. I in. think so. Yeah. I think he kind of. I think he got he got a lot of fame early on and just couldn't like transition to what wrestling was changing because you know back then if you were a star you could go from one territory to the other and be a star in that other territory and like once WCW and WWE became like the two promotions it kind of like wiped out oh your. Oh my god! No. You know, no. only there's you had to be either except you were a mid carder. Or like a lower card guy. That there were so many. There's so much less employment options. Yeah. So it's I like mean, there were even guys who they might not get over in one territory, and another territory wants to push them. And if that doesn't work out, there's five more territories. Yeah, that's what I learned from watching. Like when I would like read about Continental and mm-hmm. Memphis, and you'd be like, "This guy's the champion, and he's like the jobber in in, in the oh, NWA." Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yeah, Chick Donovan was one of those guys. I remember and, that. Yeah. Yes. Like yes. you'd see his name on in Memphis as a top guy. It's like, what is this? It's like, yeah, you see it. But yeah, you know, I think he had a pretty great good career I know he did he did I don't think he was a Hall of Fame level guy but I think he was he was good no and I mean I think you could argue I think one of the reasons um this is just my take just anecdotal take is it seemed like if you're gonna talk just straight in ring and quality of matches I'd say Chavo and Eddie were the best but I think where Eddie has the edge in my opinion length really Length and plus, he didn't treat everywhere like it was his backyard. Yeah, it was like he adapted. I mean, he admittedly said that Art Bar was the one who told him not to always be so serious and to be more animated with yeah. your, your selling to the fans. Because I mean, somebody was asking um, if if I think it might have been Brian asking Dave if um, Brian said it wasn't even close mm-hmm. that Chavo was never as good as Eddie. 
And Dave was like, yeah, he kind of was. Cause, yeah, and I, I, do, I do think from, if you watch the J- New Japan and All Japan mm-hmm. stuff and some of the older stuff, like from the whatever's left from like the Absolutely. late 70s, yeah. yes. early 80s, I think he was, like when I saw him at A85, he was still really good. Absolutely. 86, he was still really good. I mean, even like when you would see him every once, when he was in the AWA briefly, they were still pretty good. And, you know, people don't even oh, remember that. Like, you're like, I, he was in the AWA? I was like, yes. Not well. only do I remember his, the six-man tag he was in with his brothers yeah. and at, at that, was it Wrestle? What was it called? Wrestle? Super Clash. Super Clash, yes. But I, I was there. I didn't actually see. Didn't they wrestle like Cactus Jack and guys like that? It was I like can't a weird, remember who they were. Yeah. The RPMs? I, I just remember... I just remember they came in, you know... Because that was a show that had, like, all these promotions together, like, USWA, yes. yeah. Yes. Uh, you should have been like, who the hell, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, There's no Mexicans in Minnesota. <laughs> uh, That's what I, when I, when they made it to AWA, I was like, why the hell are the girls in, in the AWA? I mean, yeah. I never thought of anybody from... Well, I, I was at Cauliflower Alley the night that Chavo started... Oh, dissing, right. dissing Vern, Vern Gagne. Gagne, and Vern Gagne didn't even know where he was, <laughs> or what year it was, or who he was. Yeah. But Chavo, uh, I the one thing I did witness was uh, Bob Orton Senior was there. He's getting frail. He's in a wheelchair. He's very, he's very nice with her. <laughs> in fact, I remember, remember the punk rock group Fear. Yeah. I had I was wearing their T-shirt, and I, I just had to have my mark out moment, and just shook his hand and says, "Pleasure to meet you." And he looks and says. Fear? What do you fear? <laughs> like, oh, no, sir. No, sir. It's the name of a, a rock band. He goes, oh, okay. That, that, that's cute. That's cute. <laughs> and, um... Different era. People, yeah. older generation exactly, doesn't understand exactly. t-shirts. Exactly. like, why are you wearing a shirt that says fear? Yeah. But then Chavo had a little drink in him, and he, uh, he was wearing glasses, I remember. And he starts just, like, joking a lot with Bob Orton, and he kind of puts his glasses up in his forehead, and I can't remember... What, he was laughing really loud, but he was starting to freak out Orton a little bit. Yeah, and I think I have a couple of guys said Chavo Chavo, and he's like, "Oh, okay, okay, okay." But then the one I didn't see that uh, my friend Tom Hankins witnessed was he started shouting at Vern Gagne about not getting paid for Super Clash, <laughs> and he says, "I'm dissing you! I'm dissing you!" And then um, Danny Hodge, I guess, s- stepped in and very politely put a little wrist lock on Chavo. And Chavo said, okay, okay. Wow. Which speaks a lot for Hodge, because Chavo was not scared of people. Yeah. Uh, I heard he's up to fight Vader once, uh, which Shit. was not wise. But, yeah. no, he wasn't scared of people. Yeah. Yeah, that's like, well, like like we said, he had a good, he had a, he had an interesting career and in life. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Very colorful one. I mean, and very good on the mic, too, I thought. So we're back. We're back. We are back. Yeah, so we were initially going to do the Viano 3 Atlant- versus Atlantis, re- like just to look back through that feud, but I think we're going to do that for the following podcast, following yes. episode of Lucha Classica, because this one I think has kind of gone already like 45 minutes. <laughs> I mean, I think we probably would have gone, we could we could go with do it right now, but it's like, I don't think I don't think we want to shortchange Chavo Guerrero. Exactly. It was we, a don't, pretty... we don't want to shortchange Chavo Guerrero. And we don't want to shortchange Viano 3 versus Yes, Atlantis. because... Uh, and that's something to look forward to on the next episode because uh, I was telling you before the show, I watched that match for the first time in over 10 years. And I remember it being great, but I forgot how great Yeah, and then, and then 
also there was a lot that happened leading up to that match that I think a lot of people don't remember. We'd like to explore. Yeah, that there's because... a lot. There's everything from Viano three joining the Bariquas. Um, what else was there? The Viano three versus uh, Atlanta's match like a month earlier, where um, there's a little shenanigans that go on in that match. Mm-hmm. There's the Pepe Pepe um, storyline that also involved Viano three because he was a Bariqua. Um, the Shocker. Mr. Niebla feud that also included Shocker and um, that also included At- At- Atlantis and Viano 3 at the anniversary at the 66th anniversary show is is, is this the Shocker versus Mr. Um, Niebla Mr. Niebla is that the one where the loser could yes. ha- couldn't have a drink for three months <laughs> that happened later <laughs> <laughs> that, th- this was actually really good and that's the thing like that's the oh other- god the, I mean Shocker that, that, I, that's I, the I other thing but Shocker that, I, I, I love that guy that's the other thing about this um, about this feud it happened in a period where CML was loaded with talent and was like starting to elevate everybody and it's weird because I'm watching as I was watching some of the stuff it's like you know, it's horrible. The, the Dinamitas versus Borico stuff, it's just as bad as it is now as it is yes, back then. Yes. It's, like, it's like, but um, the difference was you underneath you had um, Satanico introducing the new Infernales. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know, remember this, the new Infernales were Ultimo Guerrero and Rey Bucanero, which later became the best tag team in Lucha oh, Libre yeah. for, since from 2000 forward, really the of the last 20 years. Just missed being tag team of the year, lost it to... Uh, they won it once. Because I, I remember they lost it by just a couple of points to... Um, to um, Eddie, Eddie and Chavo Jr. Really? Yeah. I think they won it once because I know they... They, oh, they, they were around that. like three years, weren't they? Yeah. So I think they lost it once to Eddie and Chavo and they lost it to... Um, Maru Fuji and um, yeah. Kenta, I think. And I, I miss I that. I miss that whole build up to their match because to Atlantis and Viano Tercero yeah. because uh, for some reason I didn't have access to CML at the time. Yeah, they they had a. They, then there was the that feud was going on. Then they had the Mister Niebla and the IWRG Mister Niebla. There was the Mister Niebla. I did not know there that. was a Mister Niebla Nakalpan. So he also gets involved in this. So it becomes a. They had a lot of other storylines and then there was the the tournaments that happened um remember that promotion called Ocesa that had um, Ruleta de la Muerte yes which were these tournaments where they would have that happens also so you also have Ray Bucanero dropping his mask you have the shocker involved in that and all, all this stuff so so there's a lot that goes on Super Porky's as I said the Pepe Pepe storyline yes um, Pure Oath was awesome on the mic during that era um there was a lot of like stuff that's going on um the, the WWE, WCW guys coming in, the luchadors that were in that group, mm-hmm. showing up in Mexico to be in CMLL, like Zorro, who we'll talk about in, for, uh, we talked about on the previous podcast, and um, Tarzan Boy joining, coming in and being part of CMLL, and then all these other guys from, you know, the Villanos, El Dandy would be back and forth. Eventually, he had his out, he had a, his issues with um, CMLL. So there's a lot that went on, and the, the big thing out of it was the Viano 3 Atlantis feud, which was amazing. Yes. Yeah. And that's what we will have next week, so... Well, next show. Next show. Yeah. Don't <laughs> Two weeks, yeah. right? Well, I don't know. More or less. <laughs> More or less. <laughs> yeah. We're juggling it the best we can at yeah. this point. Um, I would say I think this is the most consistent we've been in a while. Well, because we're doing a, the other podcast. This yeah, is the exactly. Lucha Classica podcast. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, thank you folks for listening and uh, rest in peace, Chavo Guerrero. Uh, 
lot of really wonderful memories and uh, uh, viva la raza yeah yes until next time folks take it easy